Hello and welcome to Football 360 One to One. I hope you're all keeping safe and well out there in these difficult times. Life in Spain is starting to get back to some level of normality, although I think it's going to take quite some time yet. This week's guest is a guy called George Jeremy. George is the director, uh, founder and, uh, and a coach at FC Malaga City, which is based uh, about 30 miles down the coast in a place called Almunica. Uh, George had a great playing career, uh, very varied. He was a real globetrotter. He started out at Norwich and, uh, and Bournemouth in the UK before coming to Spain and playing uh, in the, the second and third tiers of uh, Spanish football. Uh, he then went on to play in Australia, New Zealand, uh, the US before coming back to Spain. Um, and he spent a lot of his adult life here in Spain. So he's, uh, he's much more accustomed to, to the Spanish life and certainly Spanish football than I am. George is a really articulate guy uh, and he has some fantastic experience at the moment of giving young players pathways uh, within the Spanish game. Uh, FC Malaga City provide players from all over the world with opportunities to, to initially play against, but then uh, many of them have gone on to, to, to play for uh, clubs in the Spanish system. Uh, and whilst uh, I don't think he's, he's placed any players with, uh, with the, the highest and the, and, and the most elite Spanish clubs, um, there's some, some great opportunities in there for players from all over the world uh, to get very close to professional football and then in reality get themselves contracts in Spanish football. His knowledge of the Spanish game is really strong um, at all levels so he's able to articulate the differences between English football and Spanish football much better than I can. Um, he certainly taught me a few things and um, I think he, he's, he's a guy who you're going to enjoy listening to, uh, some fantastic views on the game in general. Um, but as I say, those of you who are particularly interested in the Spanish game, I think you'll find his, um, his input, his opinions uh, and uh, some of his anecdotes really, really interesting. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Hello and welcome to Football 360 One to One this week. I'm delighted to be joined by George Jeremy. How are you, George? Okay, yeah, not too bad, mate. Really appreciate the, uh, you know, the inquiry and, and the interest in, in getting together. So it's awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I, don't, I think you're the person who lives the nearest to me on this series of interviews so far. Only about, what, 30, 40 kilometres away, something like yeah, that? Yeah, if that, yeah. Wouldn't, I go past there, go past Rincon a lot, especially going to the airport and things like that, you know. So, so yeah, not far at all. Good man, good man. Excellent. Well, really looking forward to it. I'm going to delve straight into the, into the warm-up and, uh, and ask you a few questions. So, so initially, um, first question is, uh, who's your favourite player ever and why? Uh, a big question to start off with, by the <laughs> way. Um, I'll probably go with, uh, with Raul from, from Real Madrid. So pretty much my idol growing up. Um, never, never played the same position as him or anything, but I'm a big, big Madrid fan since I was young. And... Uh, yeah, he kind of symbolises a lot of what the club's about, you know, and always worked. I thought he was a great professional and um, as someone, you know, aspired to reach that level myself, you know, I think his work great on the pitch, always put the team before himself, you know, and um, I actually loved that. Even though he's at a sort of a Galactico at a superstar club and they all sort of came and went, you know, he was ever present and sort of rolled his sleeves up and just went about his business and, and scored obviously the goals that he did. So I'll probably go for Raul there. Love it, love it. That's a, that's a new name for, for a new answer and uh, great reasons as well. I mean, he, he was still playing at Schalke when he was, how old was he? Yeah, he was getting close to 40, wasn't he? You know, yeah. I think uh, he went to New York Cosmos and he finished that. Amazing, amazing. Great, great answer. Okay, 
Um, second one, similar type of theme, your favourite team. So favourite, not, not the team that you support, but your favourite 11 players, your favourite group of players ever and why. So as in, as in I, I picked the XI or like a team that's ex- actually existed? A team, a team that existed either now or in history that you, you, you enjoyed watching play, you, you know, your favourite team ever. Yeah, so, I mean, two easy, I mean, there's so many, but the two easy ones would be the 2010 Spain World Cup team. Uh, yeah. um, and I think that team, to be honest, that generation that did the 08, the 10 and the 2012, I think that's revolutionised football for for pretty much ever. You know, what we're all trying to do now as coaches and, and as a football industry, I think a lot of that is built from, from that generation of players. Um, and then... Again, you know, there's a lot of teams that I admire so much, but I can't really see much past the the treble winning Champions League, you know, Madrid team that's won it three years back to back. I think, again, as much as I'm biased because I support Madrid, I just think for uh, looking at professional players who motivate themselves and do that again and again and again. And if you look, it's the same group of guys almost for a decade. Um, you know, I can't imagine how that dressing room is and... Um, and what type of professionals they are to continually be on the top stage and, and be there again and do it again and be there again and, and sort of do it again, you know? Brilliant, brilliant. Great answer again. A new a new one, but really good. I mean, I think you look at Zidane's management career, he just makes it look easy, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, and I mean, I you go from of, uh, to, to, to that and then you just, just win three, three champions at <laughs> least, just like that. It's, there's there's got to be something, you know, I think to try and motivate those players again and, um, and what I find really fascinating about that whole project right now, and I'm interested to see where it goes for <clears throat> for Madrid as a as a fan and as a football coach. I mean, that team was dead and buried during the start of this season, you know, or back in last year when Solari was there and things. Zidane comes back in, and it's the same guys. You know, they they keep signing players, but they almost sign players to put the old ones back on their toes. Um, he goes into a Champions League game, and it will be. Uh, Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro in midfield. You know, it'll be Varane and Ramos if they're available. Marcelo if he's fit. It's it's the same guys again in the end. Um, you know, and, and yet they keep buying replacements. You know, Hazard came in this year. Um, you know, they brought the forward in from Germany, and and none of them really get any any traction. It seems to be just such a hard team to get into. It's true. It's true. I mean, great points. I think I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. And it was it was really a kind of analysis of Zidane's time uh, as as the manager, and and kind of went into a lot more detail than pro- probably I had in my locker locker going into listening to the podcast. And it reflected on the fact that even in the big games, the team didn't necessarily play particularly well for long spells of the games. Yeah, he just has a knack tactically, presence wise. Um, just probably put putting the players into a, into the kind of mindset, into the position to, to be able to go and well and to feel like they can get over the line in the yeah. big games. And that there's, there's a that you can't you can't learn that on the coaching course. Can you? For sure, for sure, it helps uh, when it when it's who it is, you know. Though, and he's obviously been at the pinnacle so long himself. You know, won the World Cup and Champions League as a player there. Nice. I mean, um, he, he was my favourite player. My favourite player, just an incredible player. Was I mean, his presence as a player was was phenomenal. So, you know, that people say you don't need to be a player to be a coach, but if you've played and you played to that level and you have that that track record and, and that yeah. reputation, it's got to mean quite a lot in the dressing room. I think I think you know, um, and we could start a whole massive um, taboo subject, you know, and be here for for an hour talking about that, but. On, on my coaching course, you know, that's come up and obviously I was lucky enough to play, never to a level that I would have, have dreamed of getting to. 
Um, but, you know, I look at people like that and, and Thierry Henry and all these guys, and it's not saying they're going to be successful coaches just because they played such a high level. But if they happen to be a good coach, you've sort of summed it up there. That they've got something that you can't give on a coaching course. I mean, we don't have a clue what that feels like to be involved in in a World Cup qualification campaign, yeah. traveling to another country in the world in, in a training camp and then going for a group stage and then lifting the World Cup at the end of it, you know, and Absolutely. there's nothing that can prepare you for, for that. So if you're able to then transmit that information and the, the experience that you've had, I'm sure that's going to give you a, an advantage, you know, as a, as a coach. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. He's, he's some guy anyway. Okay, question number three. So you have the opportunity to manage the 11 best players in the world. Sorry, sorry you, you have the, the 11 best players in the world, but you're the chairman. Okay, they're playing in a one-off game. You have to pick a manager, past or present, to get your result in that game, not to build something over time, not to not to kind of deploy a method or whatever over over a, a period of time with a particular group, but just to win that one game. Who do you go for? Um, again, there's so many, but I think um, just because I've been doing a bit of research kind of lately and it's just been sinking in with me how much the guy achieved and how ridiculous his record was, I think I'd have to go for Ferguson. Yeah. Um, you know, I was looking at his win record the other day and I'm big on the All Blacks as well, you know, and he's not far away from, from the All Blacks in, in one of those competitive leagues in the world. And, uh, and, I, and I saw something that Ferguson still has more Premier League wins as a Manchester United manager than Manchester City have in the Premier League. Wow, wow. Yeah. I don't think the City fans uh, out there would be, uh, would be so happy about that one. But yeah, it really underlines, yeah, I mean, phenomenal just the way he reinvented the way he found ways to win with different groups of players over such an extended period of time. It's just never to be repeated, never to be repeated. Yeah. So I'm and with then, you. And if I had to have an assistant coach, I think I'd go for Bobby Robson just because he's seen like such an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, another, you know, a, a different type of manager, but um, his, yeah, the way, he, if, if you could see the game through Bobby Robson's eyes, you'd be a rich man, wouldn't you? Because he, you could tell how, how much of a love and how much passion he had for the game. And, I don't, yeah. I don't think anyone out there doesn't name Bobby Robson as someone if you know if they've coached in the last few years or the last 20 or 30 years and people yeah. at a similar age. You remember him, Italian INT, and you probably didn't appreciate him at the time, but everyone appreciates him now. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Okay, final question before we get to the real thing. George, Jeremy, what out there, what, what can you tell me about yourself that most people won't know about you? So only, only your nearest and dearest might know. Uh, a little known fact. A little known fact. Uh, don't think of something that could be interesting. Not really that much of an interesting <laughs> guy, you know. <laughs> um, interesting fact. Uh, so maybe I came through the uh, the English system, uh, obviously playing football wise and stuff like that, and never supported an English team in in the whole time. So. Really? don't have an English club whatsoever and uh, obviously we're really lucky with the when we were growing up you know you play a lot of the other academy sides for the for the really big guys and we'd be like oh you go to school on Monday how cool is it playing this team that team and, and whatever and I never really 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 you know, bothered me really because I didn't support any English clubs. Wow that is I mean I'm a Middlesbrough fan so some people would say I've never really supported a proper football <laughs> team either but um, wow that's, that's a good one again a very different answer a nice one I like it. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's get into the into the, the 
the, the bones of the, the conversation. So we both live in Spain. Um, we both have experience in the UK. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, how you would sum up the, the differences between Spanish football culture and, and British football culture. Not necessarily just at the top level, but you know, the, the, throughout the system, throughout the, the, the pyramid, as we would call it in the UK. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's more interesting staying away from the top, to be honest, because, yeah. um, you know, you get more cynical, you know, as, as sort of time goes on, the information's out there. But both La Liga, for me, and, and the Premier League, you know, they, they clearly have the, the best groups of players in, um, you know, both leagues. But they're also, for me, the two most commercial leagues probably out there in the in the world. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a good thing, um, you know, and, and the Spanish Super Cup, you know, which I guess is like the Charity Shield, was played in Morocco this year, and and they take it. They they took a game to I think it was only played in Boston or somewhere like that. But luckily the clubs revolted and and stopped that happening. And yeah. now they're talking to the Premier League being in Australia and all these tours that the teams go on. You know, it's becoming a bit of a circus for me, both leagues. And um and and so I mean, there's a lot of comparing. They're quite similar in that aspect. And then going away from I think the straight away the for me the biggest difference um is is how quickly is it's not considered professional in a sense you know so obviously in the uk we've got the 92 clubs and you've got the football league you know it goes down to league two we'll see yeah. how much that's going to be intact after what we're going through unfortunately at the minute but in spain essentially you're only considered a, a professional within the la liga structure in the first and second tier you know so that'd be like cutting it off after the championship um yeah. It's very well known and documented that the Segunda B, which is like League One, is professional. And then Tercera, you know, you've got a handful of, of professional sort of clubs. And um, but there's a, it's regionalised league, you know, so it, it's very different straight away. Um, and that's why when I speak to Spanish people, um, you know, if you think about the, the Segunda B, there's already 80 teams at that level, you know, there's four yeah. groups of, of 20, you know. And I say, well, in the UK, even the fifth tier, um, that's still a national level with just 24 clubs. Yeah. And I try and explain that. But what amazes me um, from that aspect is, um, you know, I'm a little bit out of touch, you know, with, but you look at, say, Barrow right now, who uh, who have won, you know, going at top of the conference. They have a very modest, small little ground. You know, I'd say Rincon's ground is probably nicer than that. And what amazes me is the passion in this country. I think non-league fans in the UK are fantastic because you get good attendances and, and they're very passionate for their clubs which you don't always see so much in Spain. They're a bit fickle. But then the facilities and the infrastructure of the clubs, I mean, you've got, even at Tercera, say Jaén, I don't know if you've ever seen Real Jaén's ground. It's a 15,000 seat yeah. stadium. You're not going well, to go to any... They're club, aren't they? I mean, 40 years ago or whatever. But, um, yeah, incredible. That's you're never going to go to, um, you know, the Evo Stick North, I wouldn't imagine, you know, and you're not going to see a 15,000 seat stadium. I know you see a few big clubs fall occasionally, but here that's a common thing. There's just yeah. so many big clubs. Gateshead, Gateshead in front of 350. I, I talked to the, the last uh, interview on here we did with Kenny Lowe, who's Perth Glory, Perth Glory manager. And yeah. he, he was Gateshead's manager and they've got, I don't know, whatever it is, 10,000, 12,000, a big yes. stadium, a bit like I am, but it's an athletics track with 300 yeah. fans turning up. So yeah, not quite the same thing. <laughs> But, but I think that the um, I think the big thing as well is that is the finances is different, you know, and, and what I think here, I think in the UK, the, the fans are more passionate, but here the players are more passionate. So 
there's kind of a, you know, and I don't want to say the wrong thing or come across in the wrong way, but you see, you know, a little bit of a mercenary kind of attitude in the English non-league. And if someone will give you £15 more, you know, they club hop and change clubs regularly. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And if you have to train more than twice a week, well, that's, you know, that needs to be extra money and things like that. You know, if they knew some of the wages the players get get here and what they're expected to do for that, you know, you're, you're effectively a professional player and you train whenever they say. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we've talked we talked about it a little bit before and, and you know, if you've got guys training four nights a week here for maybe maybe 400 euros a month. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like in the UK, even down to maybe the seventh or eighth tier of the game, yeah. you get players on, on that much per week yeah. training once. Yeah. That, that really highlights, doesn't it, the money, the monetary difference. But... Uh, you know, I, I really agree, and I kind of, I think I, I think you and I probably have some kind of kindred spirit around, you know, the commercial side of the game at the top level, yeah. and what, how that, how that affects everyone else's perception of value and money and, and what players are worth, and they're not yeah. playing for what you and I probably fell in love with a game, for yeah, back many years ago. It's, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's the right process, but. Certainly up to this point, it's, it's taken over certainly the English game, that's for sure. Yeah, no, and I think um, and I think as well, the stands that players hold themselves to here is very different as well. You know, they, they want to be fit and, and there's guys who you sort of see in the non-league circuit, they're happy to drop down a league if that means they have to train as hard and, you know, they get, yeah. you know, so it's an extra bit of beer money or helps towards their mortgage and, you know, they'll train once a week, play on the weekend and, and they're kind of happy, which is fine, you know, that's not a problem at all as we're, that kind of cultural mentality doesn't exist here, you know, and it's yeah. um yeah. it's not right or wrong, is it? I think it's just, but it's this. This is why I ask you the question. I'm really interested in your view, and I think the people who are listening to this and watching this will really, really enjoy understanding a little bit more about what it what it's like because that passion that the Spanish players have for for giving of the best, for self improvement. I mean, I, I saw it the other day, the first day we were allowed out, and I'm running along the front here. I can see all the players from all the youth teams, all yeah. the you know the Tessera teams or whatever running along here with their club gear on and they're grafting. This you know the first opportunity they get, not only are they grafting, but they want the world to see that they're working really hard for their football. And I love yeah. that. No, it's brilliant, and and I think that's that's really good. And um, I think a big difference as well. You go back to the coaching kind of side is obviously how strict the the rules are for the level you can coach at. So yeah. the coach at Tessera, which you know. We were talking just before, you know, we, we were we were on, we're saying maybe something like Conference South and North, somewhere around there, you know, the top teams would maybe compete with a conference national like a high end or someone like that, or the the reserve teams of the La Liga clubs. But essentially, you know, it's like the, the top end of, of non league. Um, you know, you have to have a pro license or you can't you can't even touch yeah. it. So um and you know, I think that does make a difference. You go and watch uh Again, you know, not taking away from any, any coaching, but I think facilities and things like that as well, where they have so many clubs with the artificial pitches, they can train on the pitch. So they've always got a, a great facility. You know, I see some yeah. of my friends that play in non-league and during the winter, they're on the bit of the grass out the back with portable lights, you know, and it, it's very difficult. Or they have to go and train, a, you know, a five-a-side centre. And, and how much can you really do on a five-a-side pitch, you know? And, and here, you know, they're working... To, to a very high level, you know. I know a lot of clubs have periodization in their microcycles every week, and yeah. and and yeah, that's at the like you say, almost at the amateur level of the game here. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Great, great points there, and some of that probably I hadn't necessarily considered as much, if if I'm honest, um, because yeah, the, the coaches who are working a little bit lower down here, I mean, they're, they're not getting paid. They're not getting yeah. paid anything. A lot of them, you know, down at 
let's say the seventh or eighth tier of Spanish football. But as you say, the training three or four times a week, the amount of thought that goes into it, and, and like you say, in, in my experience, you know, the more more qualified coaches are on paper, the more prepared they generally are. Doesn't necessarily mean they're better communicators. Doesn't yes. necessarily mean that they 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 can connect as well. Um, sometimes they do. But I think they're more prepared, and so that level of, of that, how thorough the process is, as you say, is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is, and I think it's a huge credit to a lot of people out there, especially you know in this country, what they're the sacrifice they're doing and, and the distance they travel. I mean, because I mean, I'm not sure we we'll know how the work day is here, but I mean, obviously we don't start work till ten. You know, they they finish at one thirty ish. You know, they're back in at five. They don't finish till seven thirty eight. A lot of teams train at nine p.m. You know, and they're they're there nine to eleven every night. And they're getting in at 11 30 12 and then doing it all again the next day phenomenal isn't it phenomenal yeah. so okay so let's talk a little bit about the the flow of talent and where that comes from in spain and how that gets how that gets uh, treated in terms of the development of young footballers how, how do you see that process in spain yeah so and i mean again kind of with my kind of journey i, I can compare it and i don't have have a direct answer for you because I'm still working it out myself so I mean obviously I came through the the triple p system where it's you don't compete it's you know you play I remember playing games for four periods of 20 minutes three periods of 25 and we change the system each period we play three five two four three three we'd have this left back playing striker for one and it was sort of rotating and all about development which I at the time I thought was fantastic and I still think it's got a very big place for it you come to Spain and five year five year olds under sixes are playing for three points. Um, you know, so it, it's the polar opposite. Well. Yeah. And um, it's you know, what's right and what's wrong. And obviously now England's having some great results in the, the junior, you know, national team um, yeah. things recently, but Spain's obviously completely dominated for almost two decades prior to that. And um, so again, you know, I'm now working in football in, in Spain. Um, I'm getting I'm really humble and really lucky to get some access to some fantastic clubs. I'm the type of person that I want to get better all the time. I want to learn. I'm a young coach um, and, and I'm constantly asking questions when it's the appropriate time to and, and trying to get an insight into how these teams are, are working and what they're thinking. And, and you know, it's just it's just a complete opposite to, to what we have in the in the UK, I mean, for example, you look at um, Malaga, who we spoke about a bit before, you know, I saw an article, they want, they're considered one of the best academies in, in Europe right now. Um, you know, and in Spain, they, they punch you up their way and, and they're always there or thereabouts in the, the final each year. They have no dedicated training ground, you know, yeah. and then you look at Sunderland, who you see on the Netflix documentary, you look at whoever you want, any top 40, 50 academy in the UK, they've got bowling green pitches, they've got indoor domes, they've got every single coach, every single bit of equipment you can think of and how many players get through to the first team. And then in Spain, I think 67, 68% of La Liga players are, are homegrown, you know? So um, that's off the top of my head. That could be a little bit outdated, but I'm pretty sure it'll be around there. And, it makes, um, sense. It makes sense. And, and so that goes back to show you that a lot of these players are making making it through to professional grade. And, and is that right? You know, and I think... Well, I want to be clear for someone that's never been to Spain or seen, who's listened to this seen Spanish football, they play for points in every single age group. But you can't tell me that, that Malaga or Barcelona under-13s have to win the league over development. It's not like that at all. But I think there's something to be said for that experience of always being in a league structure. Um, and I, I was speaking previously to a, to a big coach here and about how why England 
at the national, the, the full team never get the results they should with the players they have. And it's because, for example, the, the England national team, a lot of those players, when there's the under-21 championships, the under-20, the under-19, the clubs would rather take them away on a pre-season tour to America and they play 10 minutes in Orlando against Inter Milan and that's all they're doing in the whole tour rather than they keep them out of the, the tournaments. As we're in Spain, you look at um, Ceballos, you know, he absolutely dominated a few years. He was a Real Madrid player and he dropped down to play under-23 or under-21 football, you know, and, and that's the pride. And so these players, you look at Fabregas, Iniesta, all these guys, they've done it year after year, going to tournament football and, and winning it and getting that experience. So this is almost a dress rehearsal for them when you go and do it with the, the real guys, you know, and you go to the full national team. So yeah. that's one... Real clear thing in Spain, I think it's great around the national structure that they take so much pride in being called up to the, the national team. And it, it takes pride of place over your club football, even if you've got a chance to sort of get into a pre-season camp or something with the with the first team. And that's kind of um, accepted. And I think that the second thing, which has kind of been spoke about a little bit in recent years in the UK, and I think it is the, the B team system, I think is fantastic. Um, and, and I couldn't, you know, advocate it more. And, and I, so I, I played in the UK um, until I was 18. So I came over here when I was last year under 19. Um, and, and I played in the, in the Segunda B um, and, and I did well and started the first 22 games as an 18 year old. Um, and then that was in the Alicante region. I got picked up by, by Villarreal in the, in the Christmas break. And, and I went there. And so Villarreal obviously has a, a very big academy and they have a B team and a C team. So our C team was in Tessera. Uh, yeah. And that experience where you're playing with all guys who are 18, 19 and 20 and you're going to play these clubs, you know, with, with five, 600 fans and getting kicked around, pitches aren't good. I thought it was it was the best development I've had in, in the first, you know, sort of my first 20 years of my life, you know? Wow. Okay. That's a really strong statement. I mean, f fantastic, fantastic way to compare, I guess, the, the difference, you know, in approach. Um, I, it's funny, I talk, I, the Accrington Stanley chairman, Andy Holt, is a guy who's very active on, on social media and, and he's a brilliantly transparent guy, explains exactly what they're trying to do as a club, what the challenges they face both on and off the pitch are. And I keep trying to get him on this. He says he's going to come on this. And I, I, I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you on the B team thing because I respect the, everyone's view that B teams in England would be a bad thing for the smaller clubs. I, I understand that completely. But if you look at it from a a national talent development perspective, the reasons that you've just outlined far more, far more, far more articulately than I could do, yeah. um, are, are very clear. They're very, they're very clear, um, and I think it's quite a persuasive argument um, to to keep to keep English football because English football for me is on the right pathway. I really feel, yeah. like you said it before, with the age group success, the kind of players that, that the country is producing now, where they're going. You know, the, the fact that Germany is, is very keen to take. Some of our yeah. best players, you know, exactly. their top clubs are. I love to hear that. I love to see that. Um, so, but it's, I think a lot of what you say there is really interesting, and will will really make people sit up and listen. A, a just, just quick thing though on that, you know, and and I, and I remember when Greg Dyke made the proposal and it got shot down in sort of less than twenty four hours. And um, you know, I, I'm not completely up to date with uh, with Leeds. So I'm not going to try and profess that I am and stuff. You know, obviously I've been out of UK for you know half my life now nearly, but. That, you know, for me, I went and watched Oruela, um, which is a Segunda B team here. And I yeah. went and watched them play Barcelona B the other day. And the thing I was most excited about was seeing Ricky Pugh play, you know. Um, yeah. That yeah. happened. 
if Akron's and Stanley you have to play against Manchester United B and you know that Marcus Rashford's been dropped down or whatever and, and so is that going to bring a bigger crowd because the stadium was packed at Oruella, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, it, is it more exciting to see Manchester United B in a, in a real game with someone coming through which might bring you more fans in, you know, as opposed to, you know, you have Accrington Stanley against Stevenage. I, mean, yeah. I can't imagine many people travelling up from Stevenage to, to go and watch a game versus Accrington Stanley. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an argument to be made about the, the, the part that football plays in the community in, in England and making sure that, that that's retained and protected to some degree. Um, yeah. there's, but there's got to be a solution that, that, you know, takes in consideration the needs of, of the national. Because I, I, I feel, you know, you, again, it fits with what you said before. English players have got to want to play with three lines on their chest. They've got to want to, to go there and have that pride that Spanish players do. And in the last 15, 20 years, I've lost count of the amount of times I've, I've heard and read stories of players deciding, I'm not going to bother going playing for, for England. Why would I do that? Because yeah. my club says this and I yeah. want to do that and I'm earning this much money at the club and I'd rather rehab yeah. a little more here than go into that into that environment, which is very disappointing as an England fan. <laughs> um, just and, uh, just yeah. spinning it around like an off-the-cuff kind of thing. One other idea I've had before, a bit like in the States where you know, the NFL teams or the baseball teams have sort of farm teams. You know, why could we not look at making rules where Manchester City could have affiliated with, with Bury, for example, and our business and loan all their under 23 players there? Because I think at the minute you can have a maximum of five or six players loaned at a time to a club, change that rule and then make affiliations. So you don't have to have the name of Manchester City be in the, in the league, you know, but you can link these clubs together. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's not for the traditionalists, but, you know, all of these things, I don't, it just felt to me like you were right. They blew over 24 hours as soon as there was uproar about some of these suggestions and yeah. they swept under the carpet without real consideration or consideration about potentially slightly different avenues that incorporated a different plan or a different strategy to deal with it. And yeah. That's another one. So, yeah, look, I, I, I agree. It's, I, I, I love that about it. I mean, I, I also, at the same time, love in the academy or the, the, the Cantera, the, the, the youth systems, where you get the professional clubs coming to play against the best grassroots teams. Yeah. Um, to what you said before, I, I went to Holland a few years ago to, to see, uh, to visit Alkmaar and, and uh, sorry, um, Feyenoord. And, you know, they said that their teams, when they play against the, the grassroots, the best grassroots teams in Holland, yeah. uh, that was a real experience in terms of competition, in terms of having to deal with, you know, we're going to we're going to put put one over on these fancy yeah. bands come from the big clubs and yeah uh, you know the quality of the players in these amateur teams that I've seen is very good the raw talent um, and you know that 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 kind of cauldron that they go into to deal yeah. with that a fairly young age 12 13 you know just, uh, I've said to people in the UK I find I've, I've had more atmosphere from the the stands in a in an under 13 or an Alvin group game for example. Yeah. Than you would get in a, you know, in sometimes in a League Two game in terms of, yeah. you know, it might be a couple hundred people, but they are these kids who are so young having to deal with this pressure. It's a bit like La Liga yeah. promises, and you know, yeah, shoot at the end of that, and you've got eleven and twelve year olds who, you know, have a routine, uh, you know, deal with, you know, the, the highs and the lows of the of penalty shootouts, and just all part of that that gradual, you know. Yeah. I think, and I think that's something else they need to, to look at, especially in the in the UK, because it's kind of a, an elitist kind of club now. You know, you want to be a category one club. You know, you've got to tick this box, have that facility, have this. You know, why, why can't, you know, whoever it could be, Exeter, you know, do a really good job and on sporting merit, get promoted, you know, through the leagues to then be in the, the category one. Yeah. That's essentially it's, how it works here. Yeah, 
it usually comes down to this though, doesn't it? That's it does there, you know, but here, you know, anyone... In the first place, to, to employ X amount of UA4A and pro, pro licensed coaches or, you know, science, science, sports science stuff or whatever, then they don't, they don't get that tick in the box and it feels yeah. quite, I don't know, um, yeah, I don't know. Clinical. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not great. But listen, George, absolutely fantastic points there. And, and we could talk about comparisons UK and Spain all day yeah. long. But well, let, let's go on to a couple of, couple of other things. So you're, um, you're coaching uh, at FC Malaga as well as owning and, and uh, you know, founding that, that, that bit, that organisation. You're yeah. heavily involved in, in, you were playing, I think, are you still playing? Uh, not so much, really. No, I still had a feature, but no, not really playing. Achilles yeah. is uh, is knackered now. <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, so, so obviously, from a coaching perspective, tell me a little bit about you as a coach. I mean, we're, we're kind of going to work backwards here and go back to back to your playing career later on in the in the discussion. But tell me a little bit about you as a coach. What you value, what you what you enjoy about your current work, um, and the kind of objectives that you set set for yourself and for the organisation. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a, a long-winded kind of roundabout story, but so I, I went through the UK system, obviously, then um, I'm getting to your point, it's going to have to go the other way, though, a little bit. Played, in, played in Spain, um, you know, around the Tessera and Scunda B levels, um, was at Villarreal for, for the period there, didn't obviously work out, had a fantastic squad at the time, um, carried on playing back with my team before I went there, and then we had the, the crisis in, in 2008. Um, and it was a really bad um, landscape sort of here for, for lower level players at that point. And the team I was actually at went, went bankrupt um, and, and it was mid-season. Um, and so luckily I had a representative at the time and I went and played in, in Australia. I was based out in, in Melbourne. And um, while I was there really early into my, my time, there, I got a bad injury. Um, so I pulled my hip flexor off of the, the bone there. Right. And um, it was a nightmare. It took a couple of years, pretty much my whole contract to nearly get it right. And so I um, wanted to volunteer with the, with the club. I had, I think, my FA Level 2, I think I had then. I think I had my FA Level 2. This is, this is ages ago, over a decade ago now. Yeah. And anyway, I was amazed that they had no kind of cantera, you know, no youth structure. There wasn't under 12s, 15s, 16s. There was absolutely nothing. Um, and, and so it kind of blew my mind. I was very ignorant to it, you know. Um, I'd grown up in, in Europe and with, you know, the, there's always a club, you know, in an hour, hour and a half of where you live pretty much, you know, if not multiple clubs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and, and so you have a really good, if you're a good player and you play well for your local sides, you, you're going to get, you know, trials or whatever, things like that, play for your school. And so, you know, you're in a great sport and nation like, like Australia. And I, and I couldn't believe, um, you know, if there's a good player that lives in Melbourne, how does he become a pro? And at this point, there's two, two professional clubs there. And they don't even have an under 15s or an under 16s. So how, how do you get into that first team? And yeah. kind of started a, a passion project and, uh, you know, just sort of looking out for the underdog a little bit, really, because you're seeing loads of really good players at grassroots level there um, with nowhere to go, um, nowhere to cultivate their, their talents. Um, and so when my contract ended, I was coming back. I'd been volunteering at a few local youth clubs. Um, and I made some sort of personal friends and there was eight young lads that, you know, wanted to, to come over and train here in Spain. Um, so they came over. Um, this was in the November back in 2013. I sort of chaperoned them for, for the month, helped them with some accommodation and stuff like that. And, and took them around to, to train at a few clubs and one signed with, um, with the Velez side who was in Liga Nacional then. So 
that sort of sparked the whole thing. You know, these guys can, you know, compete at the level here and sign in the second highest, you know, U19 level that there there is. I kind of thought that would be be that. It was sort of a, uh, you know, a nice gesture to some people that I've made good good friends of out there. And then, you know, these kids were like, okay, we'll see you in January. And I was sort of, you know, thinking, what's going on here? You know, and they, they booked flights, came back, brought a few more people. So we had a group of 14 of the guys. I was wow. now getting to doing sort of techni technical training with them in the mornings and, and helping them play a couple of games. We played a few local sides. Um, and, and again, I was still rehabbing, trying to get, get sort of better. Um, and then there was just so much pressure to sort of start the, the club. And it sort of came from really innocent um, beginnings in that way. And, and to sort of go back to your question, um, so what we're, we're focusing on now is, is football markets um, in, in, in nations, sporting nations where football's not the first sport. So okay. you know, the USA, you've got NFL, you've got baseball, you've got basketball, you've got ice hockey, all just pretty much coming before, you know, soccer. Um, and they've actually just got rid of their, their development academy, which was the equivalent of the, the, the category one youth football so that's in in complete disarray at the minute you know that's the same thing you know there's no clear roadmap where a talented player goes to try and become professional but there's so many yeah. good players um so we're effectively trying to give a platform to to players who, who don't really have a fair opportunity to to come up against the you know the levels of teams that you get here you know like like you guys at, at rincon you know in a tournament you're probably going to play malaga you might get a chance to play granada yeah. You know, even a country like America, maybe there's no professional team within, you know, yeah, sure. flight from you. Um, so we, we, we put them in an environment that we think is uh, conducive to, to becoming a better player. You know, we don't say we're the best coaches in the world, but, you know, then we, we, we do things with the right practices, um, you know, from the information that we get in, from the courses that we have. So everyone's either an A license or pro license coach. And then and then we play everyone, you know, and, and we literally do. You know, our last game before the... The lockdown was Barcelona, so um, you know it doesn't get you know you have to pinch yourself as as a coach for that, but um, that that's the reality, you know. Obviously, we work with Malaga very closely, Granada, Almeria, all the Andalusian clubs. We play yeah. here in February. Um, we play Atletico Madrid, and and so we're playing exhibition games of all these sides, um, and they're normally midweek games, and then and then the players get to see where they're at, you know. You look yourself in the mirror and you say, well, I had a real good go at that. You know, I can probably develop and do something here in Europe. Or for some people, it's a step too far. And they've got that reality now, you know, dedicate yeah. time to something else. Um, go home, you know, finish your studies, do something different. Wow. What a, what a program. I mean, obviously, I've, you know, you say we're probably not the best coaches. I've seen some of the footage and some of the work that you guys do. I've not had a chance to get down in person and see it, but I will do. Um, and I think you're probably doing yourself a bit of a disservice because from what I've seen, um, you know, you can you can never be absolutely certain, but it looks it looks top notch. It looks really really good. Oh, I appreciate that. No, no, I think we are, but you know, we, we hang our hat on the the games program. I think that's where a lot of the learning happens. You know, and yeah, um, sure. not going to sit here and say you know that we're you know we're the next Guardiola's and, and stuff like that. You know, we work hard. We're proud of what we're what we're doing, and kind of back to the philosophy, which I think was the initial question. So I apologise, going off at a, a tangent. It's, it's fine. I mean, it was, you've just answered some questions that I would have gone on to anyway, so it's it's good. <laughs> Um, you know, we have a big thing. So obviously, I, I sort of head up the program as the academy director. So, um, and, and the thing I, I remember as, as a player, you know, trying to come through the academy system, uh, uh, sort of a Premier League academy, was was always feeling so anxious, um, always feeling so scrutinised. Um, and so we try, and you see that in young people now, and I think it's even more prevalent. You know, with the social media, 
with the life and the world that we have right now, you know, there wasn't even MySpace when I was trying to come from the academies, you know, so now what they've got, Snapchat and whatever it is they're on. Yeah. Um, so we try and, and cut it away and take away the fear of failure. Um, so we're obsessed and we talk openly to the players from day one um, about emotional control and, and about taking away the fear of failure and not being afraid to express themselves. Um, you know, so we talk about that you have to buy it. So they, we, we work with obviously players from all over the world, uh, you know, and local players as well, of course. But we're not, you know, where people want to be at the end of the day. You know, we're a lower level Spanish football club. Uh, yeah, because, you, you, because just, I mean, just for people who are listening, you, you, are, you actually have a first team who play uh, in the Granada regional. Re- yeah, so we're in the top regional now. Um, obviously, we're waiting on the federation. Let's hope we get promoted, but we're in the sixth tier. So yeah. if you went direct, direct, it'd be like Conference North. Um, like yeah. you say, it's probably like one below. So I'd say it's comparable to the Evo Stick yeah. North, something like that. Um, but in terms of promotions to La Liga, we're, we're in the Conference North uh, South level um, and hoping we're, we're third place in the in the promotion places to, to go up to the fifth tier. So that would yeah. be the same level as uh, where Rincon's at right now. Yeah, 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 in the yeah. preferential, yeah. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so that's kind of come recently to give the guys um, an avenue. So um, obviously some guys get picked up from our U19 programme. Um, some players maybe aren't quite ready or also it's hard when you have no profile. You know, if you're coming from, you know, from Sydney and you played for a team there that no one in Spain's heard of, yeah. Um, you know, people are still, that's one weakness that Spanish people can sometimes have. They can be a little bit, you know, that we know everything um, and a bit not letting the outsider sort of come in. So by having the club, we've put in a, a group of unknowns. Um, you know, we've absolutely smashed the league so far and, and we've been successful um, every season, you know, not just with results, but the manner of the results. You know, we're winning yeah. games by big margins, things like that. And that's drawn a huge amount of media interest you know sort of locally and regionally and and that's that's just a microscope for these players which is what we want you know um so i mean i've I've seen you've had players go on as well right so so not only to to sarah clubs here but clubs in other countries yeah and now we're sort of we're really at the point where we're breaking that next barrier now so we've got martin mapisa who's at zamora which is they're they're into sarah but i mean they're they're huge they they've won pretty much every game this year to go to segunda b um and then we've had players invited in with cordoba this year with the senior setup so i mean we're we've had before a lot of guys from you know to granada to almeria to malaga that's always been at a junior level at the u19 we're now sort of penetrating that senior um you know that liga kind of setup of clubs we had a player with Getafe B as well which obviously you know, they're in the the Europa League at the minute you know so so for us it's, it's incredible um touching distance of, of, of you know the elite stuff I mean you know I, I think it's important that everyone understands you know the realism of the situation that you're not gonna you're not be likely to be involved in a program like 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 yours like any of the yeah. programs that are similar or similar yeah. kind of, um, philosophy and go straight into La Liga football, but yeah. there's a path. There's a, there's a pathway that, that gets you within touching distance of that, probably. Yeah. Uh, and and some reading some of the stories of your players, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really it's a great idea. And and I do think Spanish football needs to start to get a little bit more outward, you know, a little yeah. bit more perspective in terms of, like you say, the, the old boys network. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you in a minute how how you how you move you know um within within those circles because yeah. you've got a network and you've got to build relationships with people in fairly closed networks at times yeah so i mean i kind of um did the hard groundwork with that you know when i came over here so young as a as a player um you know and it's kind of really 
I guess luck, but I guess hard work sort of helps luck as well. You know, I was always a uh, you know an all, all right sort of person. You know, to to be in the locker room with, I wasn't you know uh, a nasty bloke and stuff like that. And I've kept a lot of lasting relationships. And obviously, you know, with the the age we are now, a lot of guys have moved into clubs. You know, they're now the under nineteen coach at Valencia or or the academy director at somewhere else, or they've got a football agency. And and so it kind of came from a network of playing and then having those contacts still. Um, and then one of my a guy that used to play centre midfield in my team, he was, when I was 19, he probably would have been 34, 35. Um, he's got a, a really well-established agency here now in Spain. So when I had this idea, um, you know, who's the first person I contacted and he's been you know, amazing with his kind of little black book and, and really opened a lot of doors for us. And once you get in there once and, and you, you give a good image of yourself, obviously you can normally keep those contacts to, to, to revisit and go to these clubs again. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so and I, I mean, we haven't we've spoken in English only. That's partly because of my limitations, but also because it's meant to be an English show. But uh, you, you know, how did you find the language when you came over as a player, and uh, you know, how, how have you adapted to that both as a player and as a coach? Yeah, so I, I come from a from a Spanish background family, so um, I'm half and half. So I have um, Spanish father um, biologically, and then English English side as well. My mother. Uh, oh, sorry. This you, you, you're going to pull me up on it. I think I'm, I'm, I'm made a boo. How, how do you pronounce your surname? Yeah, so Jeremy. Yeah, it's just that's fine. Yeah. Is it? I just yeah. had a horrible, horrible realization that I it might be helping me. Or something yeah, like. No, 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 it's fine. No, no, no. And um, yes, that's that's my English side, the name. So yeah, don't worry. Cool. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so I had um, some basics, but yeah, really. Um, the when I when I went to I was learning bits and pieces you know how difficult it is but I never because I was in a football club there was no one that spoke English so if I didn't speak Spanish I didn't know what was going on I didn't know when training was so I had to learn quickly and that was really kind of heightened when I went to when I was lucky enough to go to Villarreal I lived in the residence there because um, I didn't live close to, to Villarreal I was, I was living two hours away so they they put me up at the residence with the the junior teams and, and that's when it was really kind of sink or, sink or swim, um, you know, and when you're hungry, you want to know what time dinner is. So you learn the numbers and the time pretty quickly and um, you want to know what's going on at training. There was no one to sort of help you and you want to fit in. So it, it was really from that point on, it, it, it became fluent pretty, pretty fast. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's a, a big part of it. You know yourself, you know, the more of the language that you can have, the better you can kind of connect to people. And the difficult part of, of Spain is, I suppose, compared to... To other countries you know we're comparing England a lot you know the UK but there's literally different dialects and different you know almost languages depending where you are um, and and so when you go to different areas you know even to Andalusian people it can happen if there's two people from from the Basque country who want to say something you don't understand they can um, yeah. you know and in Valencia you've got Valenciano and and it's, it's it's difficult you know so from that regard moving around to different parts of, of Spain can can be quite challenging at times, and you can you can feel a bit isolated if you're with with two people from that or you know a club from that region. You know, I've been at a club where the manager only wanted to deliver the sessions in in Valenciano, wouldn't speak in Castellano, and it's um, little things like that can make you feel um, almost a bit discriminated quite quickly. But I think it's part of the culture here, and you've just got to have a sort of a stiff upper lip and and take it on the chin. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with, I'm with you. I mean, I, I certainly would echo that. I think. If, uh, if people come across a little bit nervous and kind of tend to take a step back rather than a step forward, then people probably, you know, the local people here, not that they're not friendly, but they're not necessarily going to engage. But if you if you go forward and you're willing to take a few 
a few, um, you know, make yourself look, look, look a bit daft at times, but, yeah. but have that have that uh, preference for, for trying to force the issue with the language and, and, you know, make the mistakes as you go. I think people really respect that. And I've certainly found that here. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the support of people who, who um, are understanding when I'm speaking Spanish. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have to say, I did expect more people here to speak English. Um, yeah. there's, there's kind of two guys at the at Rincon who, who speak you know, reasonable English, probably about the same as I speak Spanish. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, it's it really is sink or swim for, for me here. And I'm sure by the sound of it, it's been the same for you at various times. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think any advice, you know, I know we're not really looking for coaches coming over. If people do come over, I think they get offended that, if it's not, you know, open arms and hugs straight away when you go to clubs here. But and I think if, if an Italian fella, you know, wanted to go to, uh, you know, you said about Gateshead earlier, to go and coach there and turned up and couldn't barely speak English, I don't think people would be, be rushing to, to get him involved in sessions and stuff, you know? Absolutely not. Absolutely. 100% agree. And it's a, it's a good point you make. I think at the, at the time when I first started doing a couple of sessions a couple of years ago, you know, how little, how little Spanish I had. And don't get me wrong, I think... Once you get the opportunity to get out there, you can kind of demonstrate your value and, and your understanding from a football perspective and communicate in different ways. But as you say, why would someone give you the opportunity when, when you've blatantly said, I don't really speak any, any yeah. other like, language that your players speak? It's, uh, it's a good point, very good point. Okay, so, um, I mean, just, just to drill a little bit deeper then uh, in terms of your, your um, what do you like about the game in terms of the, what, the way it's played, the way it's coached? Tell me a little bit more about that. Myself personally, or here in Spain? Your personal preferences. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's very possession sort of dominated. So, you know, it's very, every club I've kind of been at has always been about having the ball. Um, and and we're, we're very much, you know, and that's what I'm kind of learning the more I go into coaching. We're just creatures of our, our environment, you know, and you find yourself doing drills that you enjoyed, you know, when you were 21 or 24 or whatever, you know, and so who you've been coached with will say a lot about how you are as a coach. Um, you know, I remember a coach saying to me, you know, half of what I say you won't like, but some things you will like, put that in your armory and that's going to sort of stay there, you know, and I think there's no truer um, kind of statement than that. And you could sort of go through your playing career, picking bits that you like to make yourself a better player. Yeah. And, and then you transfer that as you become a coach. And so, um, yeah, we keep the ball, um, you know, we play very much out from the back, very expansive. You know, some people see it a little bit too too risky. Um, you know, we're very much with the, the full backs, you know, and, and how a lot of, you know, the Manchester City team's been structured recently and how they play. You know, it's very similar to, to what we're trying to do. And the difference with us is um, we don't do it to a point of, of cutting our nose off to spite our face, but we do it on difficult surfaces and difficult pitches as well. Uh, sure. Sure. You know, it's not just a case of win at all costs and, um, you know, we, we want to win um, because we're trying to get promoted to Tessera as quickly as possible. But we stick to our philosophy um, as much as we can. You know, if we know, I think, I mean, obviously a lot of stuff is coming to my head as we're talking, but I think the big <laughs> thing cool. explain that people won't realise, and you'd have seen it, some of the dimensions of these pitches is, is insanity. I've never seen, and it's the one thing I can't understand, such an incredible footballing nation how it happens at senior level that you play on a pitch that's not much more than 50 wide, you know? I'm, I'm, it's funny. Have you ever been to Benegalbon? Yeah, of course I have, yeah. yeah. I mean, lovely little settlement. It's a tiny village, not like the village I lived at, lived in near York, and uh, about 3,000 people, not even that. A fantastic facility in many respects. But the 18-yard box is about six yards away from the touchline. It's uh, insanity. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, it gives you an opportunity to, you know, play in re reduced space and, 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 you know, put pressure on, on the quality of the ball retention, your quality of your first touch, yeah. speed of release, and, you know, you can, you can kind of work that in there. But any games that I've seen there at a senior level, I've seen a lot of junior football coached yeah. there a few times. Um, but it's a war. Uh, senior it's a war games. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it would have been perfect for me because I was very limited. I was, I was, I was all right in the air, and, I, and that was that was my game. So it, it suited me to have to go. But it's funny that you know people think that you know tiki taka and you know Spanish technical based football is, is going to be the, the way that you you know that's the currency in Spanish yeah. football. It absolutely, is not in my opinion. As you go yeah. down, I, I assume that your team is probably one of the one of the four or five teams in your league who play football that way. That's and everyone right. else probably plays the type of direct football I was just describing, I'm assuming. That's exactly it, you know, and, and some of these teams, um, you know, with us because, you know, so we're training in the morning, our team, you know, we have that luxury, we have our players pretty much full time, um, you know, they yeah. study, but other than that, we, we can do double sessions. So we're, we're naturally a lot. So in our league teams, we train three times a week, you know, we're in, uh, we train five days a week, you know, and sometimes three of those days, normally twice, you know, they have a, a stretch and mobility program. Um, you know, they, they do swimming pool sessions, they do gym sessions, you know, these other clubs are doing three football sessions and, and that's all they've got time for, you know, because yeah. guys are working and stuff. So in terms of physical preparation, we're, we're a long, long way um, ahead in our division. Um, and then you add on top of that, how much of the ball that we're having um, and that we get sharp technical players, it's obviously going to give us a huge advantage. So when, especially when we play at home, you know, we have a huge grass pitch. You know, your, your team, you say park the bus, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, from we've had we've had kickoffs that teams have kicked the ball out towards us and not even come over the halfway line, you know. Incredible. Um, Incredible. It's funny that you see, I mean, I, you know, I've seen that, like I say, younger age groups, Alabama age groups, Benjamin age groups, just, you know, literally, well, we're going to go from the halfway line, we'll just run it up there and we'll, we'll squeeze and we'll yeah. be compact and everything's about what the opponents are going to do when they've got the ball at the age of 11 is yeah. oh, absolutely but, but, um, so, so, yes, yeah, so that's presented a lot of um, problems as, as a coaching team, you know, and, and myself personally, because we're, they were working with good players. You know, we had this year a guy from Anderlecht, um, you know, he'd been in the Belgian national set up until the under-19. So these are, these are some top right. players, but there's also a reason oh. they're playing for us and, and not playing at a higher level. Um, and a lot of the time it is that that difference in the round, the, the final third, you know, and being able to really break teams down when it's when it's tough. Um, and, and we've struggled with that, to be honest, at times. You know, teams play with a with a five four one, you know, and, uh, and and things like that. And and we've struggled to break it down. And, and especially when you go to a small pitch, there's not the best AstroTurf and stuff like that. You know, it's been it's been um, a big challenge. So. Well, I mean, the, the reality is, if you're successful in what you're doing and you get you go up, at some stage you're gonna you're gonna come up against the high ends and the materials and these type of teams. So quality wise, might be better than you, and you might have to turn turn it around and start to do some of the things that teams used to do to you. So, I mean, at some stage you've got to start to balance, haven't you? That's what's so interesting for us. Um, so we work with the 19s and the seniors. You know, we have some coaches that mix between the two, and, and what you've just said is exactly what happens. So we're on a, on a Sunday. And we're the team that has the ball and we dominate. And then you go and play Atletico Madrid on Wednesday with the 19s, and we're having to bunker in and try and counterattack. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, that's, what a great, what a great education that is for the young players. Yeah, nice, no, good, good. really good. So, great stuff, great stuff. Love it. Okay, I said we get onto your playing career a little bit. So um, I'm just reading a little bit here. 
Um, you, you worked as a player under Sean O'Driscoll, Richard O'Kelly. Um, you, you played in England, Spain, Australia, the States, New Zealand maybe for a little bit as well, I think. Yeah, uh, same, same so thing. A really, really eclectic mix of, of, of football, some real high level stuff in the UK um, and then a, a real, I guess, I don't want to call you a journeyman, but definitely a globetrotter, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, and I, I want to know a little bit more about how that shaped you as a person, how, how because I, 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 I feel very strongly that young footballers need to understand how football can play a part to enrich their life. Yeah. Just, just forget about that journey you're on for a moment. Forget about your, your that corridor of football that you want to go on and what yeah. life when you know when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to remember, you know, that game on a Tuesday night when you won those three points. You're going to remember the experiences and what you learn and the the more kind of life life skills that you pick up and life experiences. So tell us a little bit about that, please. No, I think think you know you kind of um, hit nail on the head there, and that's exactly what it kind of is. You know, for me, I started in in the you know really the elite end of it, you know, and it looked good, quite promising, and and stuff like that. And um, you know, I was one of the lucky people that got through the schoolboy barrier to get in a YTS, you know, and then got out of a YTS to to becoming a pro, you know, which is um, is very difficult. Um, and then. I probably didn't have the the best, um, I wouldn't say attitude because you know, I worked hard and things, but I didn't have the right person in my ear. You know, I think I was a typical young teenager. I didn't have the right patience, um, wanted everything yesterday. Um, you know, you don't realise that experience does count for a lot on the pitch. And, you know, yeah. you think I'm faster than this guy. I'm I'm better at doing this and that than this guy. Why, why is he playing and I'm not? You know, now you sit here the other side as a coach and you're picking the one that's, the slower and more experienced and, and you get exactly why um but i didn't really have um you know that kind of person to, to sort of sit me down and just keep my feet sort of on the ground with with that you know so probably shot myself in the foot a little bit when i was was um just becoming a, a young pro um and then obviously like i mentioned before with the uh the crisis here in spain it really crippled football that was kind of the springboard what would have been the springboard for me to try and get back into a segunda um level or something like that you know and um yeah. so it kind of become a bit of needs must why why the journey sort of took such a an adjacent kind of of u-turn you know it was the idea was to keep just working back through the spanish leagues i'd i'd just come out of um obviously a champions league club at the time in villarreal you know and i sort of saw the reality there that you know when you get sessions with the with the senior team and stuff like that that i wasn't um it was another world. It was another level. Um, yep. you know, I'd kind of gone through that process of accepting that. So, I mean, I, when I was a young player, I was a left winger, um, you know, pace, all that kind of stuff, you know, get to the byline, cross the ball. And then when I went to, to Villarreal, I was a water carrier. I, remember, I don't even remember like Makaleli, like playing for Madrid. Yeah, yeah. I got there and within, you know, uh, three weeks, I realised, you know, I might be good enough to be at the U19 at the reserve team level as a, as a wide player, but there's no chance I'm going to get through that door into the first team dressing room as a wide player. So you made that decision independently yourself. You didn't have a mentor, a coach, or whatever in your ear saying you might want to rethink what your pathway. Uh, no one, pathway you know, I, I just sort of changed the way I played. So um, yeah. you know, I was always very good at, at set pieces, delivering corners, things like that. You know, take all kind of free kicks and stuff as a left footer. You know, there's not many options in a team. You know, there's only two or three blokes that can can swing a ball in with their, with their left foot, um, you know, so I had that, I got myself even got super fit, just crazy fit and just went box to box, you know, so um, I think that, I don't remember how it exactly happened to get my first, we were playing with kind of a wing back 
And then I said as well, I, I can do a job in the middle. And then I think someone got injured or whatever, and that was it. From then on, I played, you know, sort of a box-to-box, hold midfielder the whole rest of my career, sort of senior career. Really? Um, and I think it was back to that fear of failure again as well a bit, you know, that I knew how to do it and I was prepared to sort of sacrifice for the team. I was always happy to work harder, run more than anyone else, get the ball and give it off to the to the better players, you know, um, which again, a little bit of a, what's that? I know how that feels. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I might be doing myself a disservice because you know, I was a very technical player. That's kind of what I kind of pride myself on was my technique. But the level of what it is at, at the elite is a different world, you know. And um, it, it is. It is. But it's um, I, I've one statement I, I, I probably come out with too much. And I really feel strongly about it is that the best players do the simple things better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you can distill the game a little bit and this is a bit contrary to another thing i say which is you know i want to see people express themselves one v one and make you know make your mistakes no problems keep making those mistakes because in the end there won't be mistakes there'll be there'll be yeah. game winning opportunities that you're creating but um the simple stuff you've got to distill it down to the things that really really matter in a game of football but in possession for example it, it is the detail it is when you receive the ball if you if it ends up in between your feet, you're not going to have the fluency to release the ball quickly and allow the team to, to be fluent in the way that they play. And I think that the simplicity is a bit of a Johan Cruyff thing, but the, doing those simple things exceptionally well for yeah. me is, is really important. And so, I, you know, it sounds to me like maybe you had a, a, a realization at that in that process that doing those simple things really well was was probably enough for you to keep going up through the levels. That, that was it, you know, and, and you're just desperate to, to try and get a chance and you want to find what you can have as your, your niche to try and sort of do it, you know, and, and that was the sort of decision I made, whether it was the right or kind of wrong one. Um, ultimately, it was, wasn't wasn't enough. I didn't get kept on for a second contract, you know, but I mean, I, I don't want to go into name dropping the players who were there, but obviously they were unbelievable at the time. Um, well, go on, give us some names. <laughs> nah. No, I mean that was that was when so we had um we had Pellegrini was the manager. It was when they were really, you know, fighting in the in the Champions League, you know. Yeah. So that's centre there at the time. Uh, yeah, so Raquel in midfield, Forlan up top, Diego Lopez, I mean, an unbelievable team, you know, all of them, Captain Villa left back. But yeah. the most interesting player to to see and, and be around was so it was when Perez did his his cruciate ligament, I don't know if it was for a second time or again. Yeah. Um, and then he came back and trained with the the reserve team for a month to build his confidence up before he went with the uh, back with the first team. And we'd play in house games, the C team against the B team every week, just so he could get more minutes and build it up and stuff like that. And and you, know, you see players like that. And I mean, he used to look like he couldn't run properly, you know. But then you try and mark the fella, and you, know, you can't get near these kind of people. Incredible, so. incredible. No, it's great. I mean, look, it's you know. You, you, you're very modest about, the, about everything that you do. You've had a great playing career. I think in, you know, most most of us, you know, whatever whatever you, people achieve, they, you know, just missing being at the very top level is is really not a failure in, in any way, shape, or form. And for you to have played the professional game, to break through, to to do the YT stuff, you know, just to get the YT must have been a big day for you. Um, and you know, you've you've had a, an amazing career, but to have those reference points to understand where you were to, to players like that, I think is it's just phenomenal. I think, like, you know, um, football's great. You know, it gives you so many life skills, and that's how what I thank it for and what it's been for me. You know, I, you know, you obviously lose a bit in your education because you're sacrificing so much time at a young age. But what you're learning, sort of the dedication, the discipline to something, um, you know, the passion, you can 
you can then use it and and apply it to other things you know what you want to do later on it might not even be anything related to football you know i'm addicted to football i, I love it so i'm always gonna do everything i can to stay in it but you might go and be you know an, an accountant or whatever you want to do and apply the same things you've learned from football to be very successful at it you know and i think there's a lot of people that miss the boat with what football is. There's the top 3% who are the guys with the Ferraris and the 10-bedroom houses and the stuff like that. The reality for the majority of football players isn't always that great. You know, you mentioned Accrington Stanley before. I, mean, I don't know what their wage bills or how it works, but you're travelling up and down England, playing in not the best pitches all the time, not the most attractive um, stadiums. You know, you're getting a modest salary, which you could probably earn more doing something else. Um, and it's definitely not setting you up for, for the money you're earning to not work afterwards. Um, you know, so football's a vehicle to what you're going to do next. And it gives you kind of a one up because you're networking all the time. Um, you've got these fantastic now life skills that's got you to that point. And it's about then applying all that together um, for what you want to try and do afterwards. And I've decided that I'd love to try and help young players that didn't have the kind of chance that I had. Um, but, you know, there's a million things people can do. You know, you see people go into, into real estate or, or whatever they want to do, you know. I think that's a, that's a marvellous point. I, I, I have, to the con, on the contrary to that, I have some concerns about what it does to players, to young players, to young people, um, yeah. that, that football probably takes too much and perhaps the parents needed the education, the clubs need to be more responsible. But the flip side to that is exactly what you just said and I think you said it very articulately. Um, football is an amazing journey that, that gives you so many life lessons and I think if you recognise what those lessons are and you use those lessons effectively and yeah. you can have a very successful and happy life in or out of the game because yeah. of your football life and, and I think that's a, a, it's a really great statement for those of us who love the game because it gets a hammer in, doesn't it the game I mean it gets a yeah. hammer in so many so many reasons some of which are, re are, are fair and relevant some of which aren't in my opinion yeah no for sure and and obviously I was unlucky you know to, to go over to, to Australia and see a whole different culture there and yeah. Um, and then kind of, you know, I was getting to my mid-twenties by then and, and just got so injury prone and, and that came, you know, I was really before the, you know, now of our players, for example, you know, we have a, a wellness monitoring application. So every morning they have to, how they're feeling, you know, mentally, uh, you know, physically, any muscles, stuff like that. You know, we weigh them every single day. They have a prehab program before we start training. Um, afterwards, there's RPE scores, you know, how hard do they find the session and we can, we have GPS so we can track the loading and see if people are going in red zones and things like that. You know, that wasn't really there, you know, sort of through the 2000s, it was all sort of coming in, you know, you just started getting a sports science guy who was kind of looked at as a geek. And when they said, you know, oh, you know, you're with the sports science guy this morning, I was like, oh, for, you know, <laughs> oh, we were this fella. And, yeah. And, and it's changed so much, you know, and, and I was staying out every day after training. Like I mentioned, you know, I'd do so much extra cardio because I just thought that was how I could be the best. And, and all what it was, it was too much, you know, and I burnt myself out completely. Um, you know, I'm still paying for it now. You know, I, I, I train a lot now because I'm sort of addicted to, to physical exercise and stuff. But from a performance point of view, it was completely wrong. You know, it was all totally um, irrelevant what I was doing and it just made yeah. me break down so much and I couldn't get right you know 25 26 27 which are sort of key years um and then that's when you, you obviously start coming down the levels and things you know and then as the sports science has, has got so much bigger in the last decade so many light bulbs have gone off looking back at my own circumstance that you're like wow okay yeah that makes a lot of sense absolutely absolutely yeah I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's life isn't it you know if you knew then what you know now then uh, who knows what it what how it turned out but you know, you look at someone like James Milner, and James Milner probably, in the early days of his career, 17, 18 at Leeds, 
you know, he probably had a similar mentality to what he's got now. He's developed and he's learned and he's picked up you know, various things throughout his career. But um, they're the exception and you, you were probably the exception as well. I think, you know, players will get away with what they can get away with generally. Yeah. In my experience, certainly they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think now there's nowhere to hide UPS, you know, these apps. Kind of, listening yeah. to a manager the other day saying that, you know, they, they know exactly what their players are doing during lockdown. They've got everything, you know, the monitoring systems are just incredible now. Yeah. There isn't anywhere to hide and there's lots of objective data which um, which will highlight what they're doing. But you you came at it from a, an angle that you were the person who would push yourself and, uh, you know, that's, again, it's an admirable thing and, you know, pe people have really started to appreciate the likes of, likes of, um, of James Milner at Liverpool and what he represents in terms of mindset and commitment. Yeah. Maybe you needed you, you needed Liverpool's medical staff to keep you right <laughs> at the time when you were maxing it out. But. I think I think you know we need to try and try and help players. They realise that everyone's different and it's kind of horses for for courses. You know, there's there's so much great info out there now and you know Ronaldo documentaries and and Messi, but especially you know you look at Ronaldo and they talk about how hard he works and he trains. You know. 25 times a day or you know where he does but his body can do that you know and that doesn't mean that that worked for Cristiano Ronaldo to get to the top you know that might be one person that comes along in you know in 100 years and then we need to help the players realize that you have to do what's best for you and you're on an individual journey yeah I, I, I think I think this is why I've enjoyed so many of the reference points and the anecdotes that you've come up with in the last hour um, because uh, I think I said it before you know you're, you're you're talking about levels which are for me as a kid that would have been it would have been a dream to play my, my, my dream was to play for my local team and then my dream was to play for for guernsey where i grew up and the, yeah. you know that they were they were my dreams as it was maybe went on and did a little bit better but if you're allowing players to play at the level at level which is a kid they would have thought well that's great and all right it's not it's not the premier league it's not la liga but it's something you know there's really there's really something of value to to facilitate that journey to allow them to get to that point and um yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think it's phenomenal and it's, and it's nice that it's grounded in that reality and, and those pathways are there for the players. Yeah. But ultimately, their talent will, will, will win out in the end and we'll work out where their level is once we've given them the best possible journey. So, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Sounds absolutely amazing. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap things up very shortly. Just final question and a natural question to finish with. What does the future hold for you? For me... Well, at the minute, you know, I'm kind of very in the middle of this project, um, you know, it's kind of mission tercera and I don't think I'll sort of move on till I get that done, um, yep. you know, and uh, we're kind of, pretty, it's kind of a, a pet project in a way, you know, just enjoying kind of proving people wrong and, and it's not just a Spanish culture, a European culture, you know, and, and I speak to clubs all the time and you, you hear clubs in England that if you haven't got the player by 12, they've got no chance, you know, it's too late. Um, haven't got enough time to give them the tools that they need to become uh, whatever the clubs is, you know, their way, what they say, you know, and, and I totally disagree with that. Um, having done some of the, the travel, or a lot of the traveling, like you mentioned, you know, I've seen just raw talent from players that have barely been coached. And you think, well, you know, we've got this, this kid on this side that's had absolutely everything from nine years old. We've got this kid that's had nothing. What if he gets six months to 18 months of input from the other side? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I just, just sorry, just to cut across you, but I, I, that's one thing I feel very strongly about. The, the, the talent pool in Spain is incredible. I know you're picking a place from internationally, but the talent yeah. pool in Spain is incredible. But perhaps only half of that talent gets treated with 
the opportunities and, and given the exposure to the type of you know stuff that even just simple simple stuff at a young age you know 10 11 12 that will send yeah. them one way or the other and yeah. i think it's something that spain can improve on and, and yeah that's sorry to Across no, no, not at all. But and and so we're getting players obviously a lot later, you know, at 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, yeah. and they do come with different kinds of habits and different kinds of, of experiences. Um, some habits which aren't good, which sometimes ultimately hold them back from going to the next step. But we are getting success and we are placing players in pro clubs. And it's not, uh, you know, I told you so, but we're, we're sort of walking the walk, you know, rather than, than moaning about it. Um, we found a vehicle for these players and, and a platform and with, you know, the, the senior club, if we can get to, you know, to Tessera in the next five years, um, and those teams have been trying for a hundred years to do that, you know, yeah. and, and we're doing it with unsigned players that didn't get picked up by the clubs that weren't the, the top of the, you know, the, the radar for all the, these things. And it's kind of proven a point that there is kind of talent out there. Mate, I think proving, proving people wrong is, is quite a, quite a, a decent pursuit in life in general um, and uh, it, it looks like you're doing that for sure at the moment so listen um, I've really enjoyed talking to you I mean I have to say every single one of these I, I, I really enjoy doing because football people love to talk and love to talk with with other football people and um, this has been no different um, in, in that respect that I've thoroughly enjoyed it I've learned some stuff some of the statements you've made on there I think are really going to resonate with people and, and, and will will probably maybe make people sort of stand up and listen a little bit and, and understand a bit more about Spanish football culture. Um, so thanks ever so much for your time, George. And, no, appreciate um, this, it. We will, we, will, we will see each other before too long, I'm absolutely certain. Definitely. Um, but, but very best wishes for whatever whatever the, 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 the football authorities come up with as a solution to the end of this season, whether you get up or you don't. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you're going to get, get to the promised land because uh, um, everything you've done so far has been very impressive. Yes, hope so. Appreciate it so much. Like you say, you know, as soon as the lockdown's over, it'd be really nice to, to catch up. I'm sure we can uh, keep talking football for many hours. Um, I'm sure of that. Okay, so have a, have a great week and, and thanks again for having me on. George, absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much. No problem. Take care. Cheers. Bye. You too. Bye.